Hello, everyone. I'm Mike Sadam, and welcome back to the Crucial Talks podcast. If you could do me a favor and please subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and share it, I would greatly appreciate it. Also, if you ever need to get in touch with me, you can visit my website at www.crucialtalks.com. Feel free to reach out to me, reach out to me on LinkedIn, email, Facebook, whatever works for you. So, as you know, one of the purposes of the Crucial Talks podcast is to help people understand what drives them and what drives other people. And one of the ways I do that is by taking some pretty complex theories like self-categorization and social identity and simplifying those theories so that we can all learn more about ourselves and other people. And today's guest has done something similar, which is why I'm so excited to talk to Douglas Vermeeren. Now, Doug is a speaker a leader, a mentor, and a filmmaker. And what he has done is interviewed 400 business and motivational leaders, and he's filtered through their knowledge and has put all of this into his book and seminars called Personal Power Mastery. And so what I really like about what Doug is doing is the fact that he has done the research, put it into an understandable form, and has provided it to the rest of us so that we can all learn. So not only has Doug put the information into a single place for us, but he talks a lot about the decisions we make and how those decisions impact the outcomes in our lives. And since one of the main areas we focus in on this podcast is human decision-making, I am super excited to welcome Douglas Vermeeren to the Crucial Talks podcast. How you doing, Doug? I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having me on. Hey, anytime. This is, uh, is going to be fun. I've been looking into you and all the stuff you're doing and how you're helping people and what you've done to get where you are today. And it's really, uh, it's quite impressive. So before we get into the value that's embedded within Personal Power Mastery, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and sure. this journey you took to get where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting because as a young man growing up, I had never heard of the personal development industry at all. So I kind of I came as an outsider, I guess. And um, my background is, quite frankly, my parents uh, were not well, uh, well off. They were, in fact, uh, let's call it lower middle class. And um, to tell you the truth, my, my dad worked in construction. My mom babysat kids in the home. And I was told the way to work smarter is actually just work harder. <laughs> and so they didn't really have, you know, many secret plans or any kind of special strategies that were destined to, to make me something amazing. I had to kind of come up with some ideas on my own and, and kind of how that really came about is I was working harder, like I was taught selling pest control door to door in California. And at the time I was a college student, so I was deep into debt for student loans. My credit cards were maxed out. Um, you know, we just didn't have a lot of money. Uh, I put every dime I possibly could into surviving and so did my parents. And so uh, when I took this job selling pest control door to door, I became kind of discouraged when, you know, all the promises about being successful in sales didn't really happen. <laughs> they told me that door to door sales was the key to making millions and it just didn't happen. And so uh, I was on the verge of quitting, to be honest with you. I was, uh, you know, looking for something else I could do. And at that time, somebody gave me the job, Think and Grow, or the book, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And um, perhaps some in your audience have read that, but for those that haven't, essentially Napoleon Hill outlines the keys, what he felt to, were to become successful, the keys to becoming successful. And the way that he came up with that was he actually set out and interviewed more than 400 of the world's top achievers in his day. This was in the 1930s. So people like Thomas Edison, Henry Ford, the Rockefellers, the Wrigleys, the Wright brothers, all these people who'd been like titans of industry in that 
generation and, and several previous generations. And so I decided to do just what he did. And so I decided to go out and interview the top achievers of our day. And so um, kind of what happened to me is, uh, you know, I just kind of got hooked on this idea of, of learning from these leaders because in a very, very short time, in fact, it's in the first six months of me doing this, I was able to go from a broke college student to amassing over $1.6 million. Uh, and that, that average is about $9,000 a day because I did it in six months. And so I just got hooked on studying success and that sort of led me to start teaching it because others wanted to sort of know what were the secrets that I had discovered. And that's kind of, <laughs> that brings us almost up to speed now. And as you You've mentioned, uh, you know, we've released that in a book and, and several movies and programs along the way. Well, and that's what I find interesting about what you're doing, because you're focusing on the person and you're focusing on people and you're focusing on human beings as being the key to all this. So you didn't never said, hey, I didn't succeed in selling door-to-door pest control because the pest control product I had should have been better. You were actually looking at yourself. So it really comes down to the person. Is that what I'm getting from you? Well, it's kind of cool that you've, you've mentioned that because to be quite frank, the fundamental principles of everything that I teach can be summed up in that title, personal power mastery. And you'll notice that the first word is personal. And I think that that's a big problem that a lot of people have when it comes to, you know, creating success in their own life is uh, they're not always prepared to take it personal or they take certain elements personal, but they pick and choose. And the truth of the matter is, is if you've got a situation in your life that you'd like to change, the first step to changing it, we always say in the training is if you own it, you can change it. And it's not a matter of the marketplace or the economy or your background or who you're married to or who raised you or whatever else has gone on in the past. You need to own it. And the moment that you can own it is the moment that you can begin to affect changes in your life. And that's something that I discovered as well. It, it didn't really matter where I came from. And I didn't come from, you know, a terribly you know, challenging background, like maybe someone from abuse or addiction or all these other things. But I did come from a financially discouraging background. And even that, like, it just didn't matter. And, um, and I've seen people through the program who've had all kinds of, you know, even more severe issues than me. And I've also seen many of them turn it around. And so again, it's not really where you're from. It's, it's based on what you're going to do in the present and how willing you are to take ownership of that. And you said what you're willing to do in the present and taking ownership. So what I feel that I'm getting from you, what's so cool about it is you're, you're actually telling people, hey, look at what's going on around you and make a decision. And that's what I see in your book as I'm looking through it. I see a lot that you've written about. And when I look at your stuff online and I've seen some of your videos, it really looks like you focus a lot on decisions people make. So I was wondering if you could – the first thing I'd like to talk about is, is this power of choice. And I was wondering if you could talk about the power of choice because it seems like something that we talk about here on the Crucial Talks podcast quite a bit, and that's perception and decision-making based on that perception. So when you're talking about power of choice, what do you mean by that, and, and how, how powerful is this notion of choice? Well, I'm so glad you asked about choice because I think this is something that is so neglected, especially in, you know, personal development and success literature and psychology today. Uh, The truth of the matter is, is choice is our our biggest fundamental uh, power, if you will. It is our beginning power of everything. And what I mean by power is the ability to act or take action. Let me explain to you kind of how I arrived at this too, because this is kind of interesting. Um, When I was doing the interviews of the 400 top achievers, I also included quite a few interviews that were not necessarily the, the most successful people in the world. Instead, they were people that 
we're able to affect change in a hurry. And I thought, who, you know, in our society are, are people who are on the front lines of change, if you will. And immediately came to my mind the people who run the suicide hotlines, right? The operators. Because if you think about it, people, when they call in, they're in the worst circumstances of their life. They're distraught. They're in turmoil. They're in distress. There's, you know, super massive elements of discouragement there. These people, in fact, sometimes when they're calling in, they've even got a gun in their hand. So if someone has to make a change in a hurry, it's definitely a suicide hotline operator. And so as I interviewed um, one of the people that trains these operators, she said something very startling to me. She said, out of all the things that we're allowed to say to someone who's about to take their life, the one thing that we cannot say is, don't kill yourself. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, that's the first thing I would say, right? Like, as, as sort of a novice at this, I'd be the first one to say, please, please, don't, don't, don't do it. And she said, no, we can't do that. And I said, well, really, why is that? She said, well, because that's taking away their choice. And I said, what? She goes, well, if you think about it, a person who's discouraged and in a, in a state of despair and, and in this distraught time in their life, they really are there because they feel like they don't have any other choices. That's why they're going to take their life. They have no other choice. So she said, what we try to do is help them see beyond that they do have choices. And we help them see the consequences. So in other words, we tell them, yes, you could take your life, but this is what that would look like. Or... You could stay here, and this is what this would look like. Or you could get help, and this is what this would look like. And it was interesting to notice that as a person gained back their choices, in other words, the more choices that they saw available to them, the more power started to flow back into their life. Now, I'm not saying that we take advantage of all the choices that come to us where we even got to commit to specific choices. I'm saying just the fact that we begin to now see that we have choices opens up more possibilities for us. And so we've tried the same strategy with the students that come through our program. We've had people come through with bankruptcies, foreclosures, uh, divorces on the horizon. We've seen people who've been diagnosed with terminal illness or they've lost family members or you name it, right? Like any kind of challenge you could face. Most of the time they come in the door feeling pretty helpless and pretty discouraged. But as soon as we start helping them to see that they've got more choices and that, that choice really is available to them, they start to regain their power. And so I think that that's one of the key elements of any success is that we got, got to recognize that we can shift our situation from whatever we're experiencing right now to what, to, to other alternatives. And of course we can't always shift immediately to the perf the perfect or ideal situation, but we can always shift to something that's leading us closer to that situation. Everything's a journey, right? So I think that that's really also the beginning of decision as you were talking about. Well, and one of the things we do talk about here on the Crucial Talks podcast is the power of perception and mm -hmm. how the lens you're wearing can actually impact how you deal with a situation. For instance, if I'm looking at standing right next to you and you and I are both looking at the same scene, we could ex be experiencing it totally differently because of how we see things in our perceptions. So is that kind of what you're talking about when you're talking about introducing people to the idea that they still have this power of choice, does that help them switch that lens on how they're viewing the situation they're in? Well, it, it certainly does. And I guess even one way to look at the power of perception is I think most people in the audience have been to a magic show before. And the truth of the matter is, is what you understand changes how the show appears to you. Again, if you're a novice, everything that you see looks almost impossible. How did he cut that lady in half? How does he make that person float? Like, how did he just pull a rabbit out of thin air, right? But if you had an education on magic and you see and you understand, now the show becomes different. You enjoy it for different reasons. And I think that 
here's one of the big things, I guess, in the evolution of understanding decisions uh, that was a big distinction between someone who, let's call them a poverty or scarcity mindset, someone that is average versus someone that is extraordinary, somebody that sees the possibility of things. And to be honest with you, a big difference between those people right off the bat is faith. You know, they, the, the successful people often see things that have not yet formulated. In fact, it reminds me of a story of Walt Disney. Uh, Walt Disney, of course, uh, built Disney World, but he did not live to see the day that the Disney World opened. And apparently, and this is, I don't, I don't know the exact resource for this story, but apparently there was a reporter that turned to Walt Disney's brother, who was still living at the time, and said to Roy, he says, boy, it sure would have been neat for Walt to see this. And Roy hesitated in his, in pause in his speech. He says, what did you just say? He said, you know what? If Walt hadn't have seen this before all of us, none of us would have seen it today. And so I think that it's a really a common trait that top achievers see things before they occur. Now, let me use this in kind of a, a practical, real level for us day to day. Oftentimes, when an opportunity appears and someone is given a decision, do you want to participate? Are you in or are you out? Well, most people look at their current situation, again, rather than what they want or what they could see. And they say things like, oh, I can't do it because I don't have enough time or I don't have enough money or I don't know the right people or I don't have enough knowledge or, you know, this isn't right or that isn't right. And so they make their decisions based on where they are now. Now, here's the problem with that is decisions have very little to do with where you are now. Decisions are always directed toward a future outcome. So in other words, if you want to have more time or more money or more opportunity or whatever it is, you, you fill in the blank. You need, you must, you have to make a new decision because decisions are the only things that change anything. It's actually a Chinese proverb that says, if you would know your past, look at your current situation. But if you know your future, look at your current decisions. So again, I think too many people make that idea of a decision saying, well, I don't have enough money. What they really need to do is if they want to have more money, you actually need to take that leap of faith and make the decision that's going to add that in the future for you. So I think that that's a really important distinction. And I think there's too many people kind of who are, you know, trying to live a life of abundance, but they've still got one foot in scarcity when they're making all their decisions. If you want to have a life of success and abundance, you need to start making decisions that are focused towards the future, even if you can't see the possibility in the present. It's a really important distinction. Well, I love all of that, what you said, because this podcast really has three pillars to it. One is self-transformation. The other is group behavior and social identity. And the third one is appreciative inquiry, which is this strength-based positive focus on, on changing organizations and systems. And that's why I love what you said, because you're, you're actually saying, hey, look, have a, a perception, have a view of what you want in the future. Have that belief. Because another thing we've said on this podcast or a question I've posed to people is, do we believe what we see or do we see what we believe? And it goes back to what you're talking about with the power of perception, which I know you cover in your book. And you talk a little bit about perception and beliefs. And that's why I kind of want to talk to you a little bit more about about perception, because mm. you brought up um, Walt Disney and how he can see, he, he had a vision of what he wanted to see in the future, right? He had this, this expectation and of what he wanted to accomplish. So in your, I mean, you travel all around the world, you talk to a bunch of different people, you help them with these, with these ideas and these tools that you've provided them. 
So when we're talking about expectations, how important is having that expectation, that, that future vision, that goal, whatever you want to call it, for your own future? Well, I, I think expectation is actually kind of an interesting concept uh, because all of our human emotions are actually tied to expectation as well. What we typically expect, you, you've heard the saying that what we expect is what we create, but I'm going to suggest that that's actually only in, on the positive end of the scale. I also believe that all of our human frustration is on the negative end of expectation. In other words, if I said to my wife, I'm going to take out the garbage for you uh, right now, and then I don't do it, well, she has the expectation that the garbage is going to be taken out. And when it's left there, she's going to be very frustrated, right? And so expectation has, I guess we could say, on a continuum, right? On the one end, it's the unmet expectations where I guess you could even place like low integrity on that end. You know, when someone says they're going to do something, they don't do it, or something is maybe not said, but it's expected and they don't do it, that can create a lot of dissatisfaction and disharmony. I think also if we look at a lot of uh, folks in our society, like the students that are kind of told you need to go to school and get a really great education and that's how you're going to get a good job. Well, I see vast numbers of attendees to my seminars who are college and university graduates who really feel like they've been betrayed because as they hit the pavement looking for a job, um, the society doesn't really reward what they were expecting, right? They, they need to really take that success into their own hands in a different way. But on the other side of the spectrum, I see something, maybe we even call it going the extra mile, where when something is expected and then those expectations are exceeded, and I think that that's a, a high trait and high quality that we see in a lot of leaders is that they overperform. Now, I believe that there's, you know, uh, we also call this the continuum of willingness in, in the seminars that we train. Obviously, whenever someone gets a task, they approach it either, you know, at somewhere on that willingness scale, either they're, they'll do the task, but they need to be motivated and they're grudging and they're holding back. But on the other end of that spectrum is, again, those people who will do it and they'll do a good quality even further up the, the pole, there'll be those that go the extra mile and do more than they're asked to do. But I think if we look at expectation and the extreme of willingness, it's actually people who even do things before they're asked. They're very proactive. And that is a highly common trait in all the top achievers that we, we met and that we interviewed, that they didn't just solve problems or didn't even just solve their problems. They solved problems bigger than even those that others could anticipate. And so they were rewarded as pioneers and also their financial abundance came because they could solve a problem before the general public was aware of it. And so I think that this is a really interesting idea when we're talking about expectations that we need to start expecting even more of ourselves and recognize that we can be a solution to things even before they become on the radar, right? We need to expect amazing things of ourselves, and we always raise our life to the standards that we set for ourselves. And if we place ourselves as a, you know, in a, in a position of, uh, how should we say, uh, less than worth, or we minimize ourselves to other people, we're always going to find that we're playing at a low level. But if we begin to really look at ourselves, in fact, it, it's, it's funny, and I know this is maybe a bit of a segue, but one of the top achievers that I interviewed um, I talked to him one time about this idea of humility because I, I, I felt like so many of the top achievers were humble, right? Humble people in, in their attitudes towards others. They were kind, they were nurturing, they were giving. And I said, well, I've always been told that to be successful, you have to have a bit of an ego and you got to be out for yourself and you got to really kind of self-promote and you really got to get yourself out there. And he said, well, that's actually not even the definition of humility or egoism, uh, like a lack of it or 
uh, a containment of it. He says, what humility really is, is that you recognize that you are great, but that everyone else is good too. Everyone else is very great too. And if we start looking at ourselves and others with that same expectation that we all deserve great things, that we all deserve, you know, to be rewarded according to the, the massive value that each of us can contribute, we start seeing our own personal brilliance, that's really the beginning of creating it. And so for me, that was a, a powerful lesson, especially even on expectation. You know, what we, what we really uh, hope for and prepare for and commit to is what shows up. And maybe one last thought here just on that is that it's interesting to note that I believe that the universe is an echo chamber. And what do I mean? Well, if we approach something with hesitation, it shows up with hesitation. If we hold back, if we approach it with fear and doubt, it shows up with fear, doubt, etc. But if we expect that the universe will support us and we approach something with boldness and confidence and commitment, that's also exactly how it will show up. So very important to know. And I find all of this really interesting because we've talked about the power of choice and we talked about the power of perception. We talked about expectation, but you said a bunch of stuff just now that seemed really important to me because you talked about the fact that if you want success and abundance, you need this expectation, but that human frustration can also grow from expectation because there's, there's two ends of the spectrum and low integrity can cause dissatisfaction, disharmony. And then you went into some of the top achievers that they're kind, they're nurturing, they're giving. And I love the idea about humility and what that actually means or recognizing the greatness in other people because it really leads us into this discussion about values and the role of values in the decisions we make. Because one thing I talk to organizations about is the fact that, hey, if you have people in your organization that are living the actual true values of that organization, they're going to filter their decisions through those values of that organization if they are truly meaningful to them. And when I hear you talking, it, it seems like that the character of a person and the values that we hold impacts those decisions. So could you talk to us a little bit about how values may impact our, impact our decisions and some of the priorities in our lives when we're making those decisions? Yeah, and, and values is such a massive thing. In fact, in the book, we do a complete chapter on values. Um, but let me maybe just share one element that I think will be extremely important on this. When we talk about values in the context of decision-making, um, the easiest way, I think, to explain it is if you've ever been to a playground or a park, they have a seesaw there, or sometimes called a teeter-totter, right? And as you remember, a teeter-totter, one person sits on the other end, the other sits on the other end, and, and one goes up while the other goes down, et cetera, et cetera. You can kind of look at that between values and motivation. So in other words, when values are high, okay, let's say he's the kid who's up in the air, the other side of that scale is motivation, and that will be low. So in other words, when something in your life is there and you value it highly, let's say you need to make a decision on it, it's going to take very little to get you to say yes or commit to it because it's high value. When value is high, motivation is low. But the other side of that scale is also true. When your value on something is low, it requires you a lot of motivation to get going. And I think what, if we're looking at organizations, a great example is that sometimes 
you know, people are assigned a goal or they're given a quota or they're given instructions to do something and it doesn't really coincide with their values like, or they can't see how it fits with their values directly. So therefore it takes a lot of motivation to get that person to actually do those activities. And I've even seen it where not only can you dangle the carrot of, okay, maybe you get a raise or a bonus or some kind of financial or a contest or something. I mean, these are all carrots, but I've also seen it where the negative has been there. Like if you don't get this quota met, eventually you're going to be let go or what have you, right? So that's what occurs when the value system is very, very low. It requires high motivation and that can either be a positive or a negative motivation. But I think the organizations and especially the successful people that I I studied and, and took a careful look at here, they found ways to tie their mission into the value the person, sorry, that they were serving. Sorry about that. They were, you know, they were really in tune with how do I capture or or include their values in with the company values or the company mission. And so I thought that that was really, really powerful because now the the motivation and even the loyalty that came from that were, were far beyond just an average kind of commitment, right? Like it was a higher, deeper, more extraordinary commitment. So it's important to just recognize the the correlation there. Now, here's just another interesting thought on this that that might be kind of neat to think about uh, from a personal point of view. And I and I assume you've probably got even people in your audience that are business owners and they deal with customers and this kind of thing. Um, I, I have a lot of people that have come through our doors that say, you know, I'm having a really hard time finding my passion and my purpose. And I kind of translate that when they say that. To, not exclusively, but it has a big part to deal with, to do with their values, right? Like their passion and their purpose will tie directly into their values. And I think that a lot of times most people are not successful in either finding their values or uh, being able to create abundance around their values because their values are so self-centered, right? In other words, you might be able to find what you're passionate about, what you, you value, and what's your purpose, but how do you turn that into a business or an enterprise that others will support? And a lot of times people struggle with that, even if they found that passion and purpose, right? In fact, Warren Buffett once said that, that what you love about you is your hobby. That's that what others love about you is your business. And so I think that that's really kind of a neat little insight because I find that the most successful people who are either searching for their passion and purpose or searching for a way to commercialize their passion and purpose, understand that their purpose and passion cannot be alone. In other words, where your success will be is when you find what you're passionate and purposeful about, and then you can find people who have that same passion and purpose, and where they overlap is where your success is going to be. Because even we as humans, if you look at what we truly value, our greatest values actually will always involve another individual. They will always involve some kind of a connection to either, you know, someone in a relationship or if you're looking at, you know, for business, it must include a transaction that someone must, you know, give you uh, some kind of a resource for. Uh, Everything that we have in, in human existence requires another person to be successful right? So I think it's really important that we understand our, our values that are going to give us the most satisfaction and abundance and wealth and, and, and biggest compensation in the end must also involve another. Well, and I love that because what you've done is really tied it up for us because we started on this, this discussion about values and how those impact our decisions. And what you said was, hey, when values are, are high, we can have high motivation 
Um, we can we can reach these higher pinnacles of performance. And when our values tie into the company mission, now we're actually seeing a high level of performance within the organization with a deeper level of commitment. And really what you ended up coming around to is the fact that we talk about all the time on the Crucial Talks podcast, and that is that people are social. We're the most social beings on the face of the planet. And what makes us so successful is our ability to construct reality with each other through storytelling. We're the only, really the only social animal on the entire planet that can do that. And that's why I loved it so much when you said, hey, look, when you're coming up with your passion and your purpose, trying to make it into a business, that you can't do it alone or for yourself, that it really has to be people around you that have that same passion and purpose it goes right in line with everything we've talked about on this podcast about people needing social esteem and belonging as those higher levels of motivation. Because I love what you said. It just basically you said, hey, it doesn't really, it doesn't matter. The money will come. Your motivation is the money. It's this higher level motivation as being a person and what you can share with others. That mm-hmm. I think is just, I mean, that is brilliant. A way to, to really attach feeling and emotion to this idea of values and characteristics. It really is powerful that those things tie together. And I think that's a, a great thing that you just told us. So I have to, I know we're running out of time. So really what I wanted to end with, what I wanted to segue into from that discussion is we're, we're talking about people here. I mean, you and I are just, we're talking over the airwaves. We're not doing anything really special right now, but there's going to be a lot of people listening. So what can they, those people do, people like me, that want to continue a little bit further down this path that you've kind of laid out in front of us, what can they do? How can they get in touch with you? What, what steps can we take to kind of go down to this, this path of, of personal power mastery? Sure. Well, we've got a lot of free resources, in fact, that are available. And, and I always invite people to start kind of with some of the free stuff. Um, if you get our vibe, you'll become our tribe, right? So get to know us and see if we can support you. One of the things that we do, and you mentioned this at the beginning, is I've got a free podcast, but I've also got a free Facebook group where we post videos and insights and uh, you know different articles and tools that a person can use to immediately get some new results in their life. And some of the things that we share, obviously, are not just about building money. In fact, we have stuff that uh, really what covers what I call the, the five pillars of success, which includes self, connection to self-worth, self-confidence, self-fulfillment, uh, obviously your spirituality and your health. Um, but again, relationships and abundance seem to be right at the top of the list. And I'm not just talking always about even familial relationships, even business relationships. You heard that your network equals your net worth. Well, how did I get in touch with 400 of the world's top achievers? I reveal a lot of those secrets and how you can expand your network to be more supportive and, of course, at a higher level. If you level up who you are, you get to level up what you have. And I'll never forget that one of my mentors told it to me this way, really kind of neat. He says, you'll never do a million-dollar deal at a $10 breakfast. And so what I'm going to encourage you to do is if you're not experiencing the results that you want right now in your life, part of it might be because of where you're injecting your efforts in terms of relationships. Maybe you don't have enough high achievers in your life to be able to model and get support from and also that they can bring to you opportunities for you to get bigger and better in every way, shape, or form. So again, this is a great forum. And the, the way to do that is just simply to head on Facebook and type in personal Power Mastery, and you'll find us. And it's a great free resource. And what is the uh, website? I, th- I want to make sure I have it right here. It's www.douglas.com 
vermirin.com. Yep. And that's how they can see more about you, get a copy of the book, all that good stuff, right? You got it. That's right. All right. Well, hey, everybody, I think this was a great conversation with Doug. If you're getting as much out of this as I am, please visit his website. Check out some of those resources he has. I mean, I love what he said here. He said, if you get our vibe, you'll become our tribe. And we all know that, that the power of people, the success of human systems is all because of each other. It's not because of technology. It's not because of the amount of money we put into something. It's all about being with each other and being able to succeed together. And I think that's where a lot of value that Doug offers. I think that's where it comes from is the fact that he's, you know, we talked about three degrees of influence. He's spreading this stuff throughout the world and giving a lot of resources for us to continue down this road. So visit his website, check out his book, go to the Facebook group. I mean, there's a lot of information out there that I really think can help. So if you enjoyed this episode and you enjoyed the fact that I got to talk to somebody like Douglas Vermeeran, please subscribe to it. Please share it with others and visit www.crucialtalks.com and connect with me via email or on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter because we really are stronger together. Have a great week. And remember, if we want to understand behavior, we need to understand what drives people. Please review, share, and subscribe to the Crucial Talks podcast. Visit crucialtalks.com.